Welcome, everybody, to another fantastic episode of the Loftus Party Podcast. Coincidentally, my name is Michael, and I'm going to be your host. We got a great show for you today. I don't know why I love that opening. I just do. Okay, so we have a phenomenal guest, and I don't want to take any time away uh, from this dude, but I'll remind everybody there's a third segment over on Patreon, and that that might get a little uh, cuckoo crazy, but that's that's for then. This is for now. We live in the now. You guys, returning to the podcast, the one and only, the Professor Nicholas Giordano. How's it going, guy? It's going well, Mike. How are you? <laughs> I'm hanging in there. I'm upbeat. I'm stoked to have you back. We ran into each other uh, at the America First Warehouse. We were checking out uh, uh, that, that fellow by the name of Cash Patel. We did. Yeah. He, he was great. Yeah, that now what was your what was your big takeaway from Cash? What do you like about that guy? What do you dislike? What are your thoughts? Well, I, I like the fact that he he just puts it out there. He's not afraid to criticize all the powers that be. He calls out the bureaucracy and the abuses of power that are going on and, and he calls for accountability. I mean, he's a guy that literally worked for Congressman Devin Nunes uncovering that the whole idea of Russian collusion was a scam. It was a fraud perpetrated on the American people. And then you have weasels like Congressman Adam Schiff trying to actually silence and shut down people like Cash Patel. It really shows you how deep the swamp is. Dude, that is uh, it's too funny. Last week's show, I was talking about, you know, priorities and stuff in terms of, you know, what's going on in the country. And and like there's there's distractions and some of the distractions are uh, insanely fun to talk about and joke about. They and are laugh about. But. I I am not over I am not over the whole uh, FBI involved with uh, Russia 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 and and inventing this tr- story about Trump and about all those other people and then when you get to the Elon Musk of it all and the Twitter files and showing just how deeply involved the intelligence community was in like the day to day operations of Twitter and getting people silenced and and Adam Schiff. He just had like a hotline. He's like, let's get rid of this dude. Let's silence that dude. Let's censor. It's terrifying. Like, but, I, can't, I can't think of anything more important right now. You know, it's worse than all. We actually paid for it, too. Right? We, we actually paid Twitter. American taxpayer dollars, the FBI used to actually pay Twitter and the employees. So our tax dollars were actually being used to help fund the DNC messaging and the abuses of power within government. You can't make this stuff up anymore. That and is... The, it's that's the one step too far. That's it is. So it's like already like the censorship is bad. The intelligence community being completely corrupt is horrible. But then, yeah, when you highlight that and we paid for it, that's just it pisses me off so bad. Yeah, right. Just you might as well just give our money to the Democrat candidates, the taxpayer dollars. Uh, that's what you're trying to do anyway. And, it, you know, the scariest part is that this is the biggest story. And it's not just the FBI. It's the entire bureaucracy. It's all the agencies. This has been a slow motion train wreck for the last 20 years. And I'll remind the audience, you had the National Security Agency spying on the American people under the Patriot Act, even though they promised they would never spy and target us using the Patriot Act. Yeah. And they did it with the prison program. You had the IRS targeting Tea Party groups in 2012. You had the CIA spying on sitting members of the United States Senate 
Intelligence Committee, nothing happened there. The obvious FBI and all that scams. The United States Postal Service had a program called ICOP where they were monitoring social media accounts and flagging social media posts and sending them to the Department of Homeland Security. You have the Department of Homeland Security that was monitoring American people. You have the ATF that's literally creating a gun registry, even though Congress, by law, they passed a law stating that the ATF cannot create a gun registry. So you see these abuses of power, and then you factor in the coronavirus, and we saw the totalitarianism come in there. And then you have people like Carol Crawford from the CDC literally telling Twitter officials that they're not allowed to put out unapproved opinions. And that was her own word. She she directly said unapproved opinions as if opinions need to be approved by any government entity. And, and you sit there and you see all this happening. And then people think that we live in a free country. And it's like, no, if you've been paying attention, the country has been shifting towards totalitarianism for a while. Yeah. So it, I've been trying to scream about that stuff on this show for the longest time. And it's it's wild. Uh, it's I think it is gaining traction with like smaller news outlets and stuff. But like every day there's like another you can't believe you can't believe what you've just seen. Uh, like the, uh, the the Pfizer hidden camera Project Veritas blind date video. I'm sure you saw that. <laughs> that was nuts. And his reaction when he was exposed. Oh, my God. That guy needs help. Yes. Is this real life? Is this real? In case. In case you haven't seen it, the video is quickly being disappeared. YouTube has already taken it down. Uh, what I did is I, I posted it at theloftestparty.com, but I used the Fox News link, uh, and it's the it's the Tucker Carlson. So you know Tucker Carlson downloaded that bitch. <laughs> oh <laughs> He's yeah, not just I'm... posting off of YouTube. But if you haven't seen the video, uh, dear gentle, wonderful listeners, uh, this dude is on a on a series of blind dates or a it's like the first date and then a follow-up date. And he's even saying to the guy he's on the date with. I wonder how these dates uh, happened. Did they use Tinder or, or you know, some I other have to think crazy matchmaking site? I have to. Listen, I have to think, like, Project Veritas has some crazy, insane, like, Frankenstein database. Let's get <laughs> Let's get the names of all the employees of Pfizer. And let's just see if any of them match up to people who are on Tinder. Or on Grinder, or on you know, uh, frickin' Farmhand dot whatever the hell the dating site is. Yeah, well, well, the, this guy from Pfizer, I mean, he's like the type that uh, you hear stories about that he ends up chopping up a body on a date or something. That uh, that would have been pretty freaky uh, going out with this guy after seeing the way he reacts to things. Yeah, and it's like it's like that that instant switch. So if you if you haven't seen the video, uh, he's he's telling this guy that he's on this date with. He's like, yeah, we're doing. Uh, gain of function research, but we're not calling it that. We're calling it what uh, direct evolution or directed evolution. Uh, and we have to keep up and make all these new variants so we can have new vaccines. And COVID has been a cash cow for Pfizer. And he's like, it's really odd. And then his demeanor changes in such, he just does a complete 180 when when they tell him, hey, you're busted on hidden camera. He just goes bonkers and it's like it reminded me it reminded me of that remember those uh those tapes where hitler's in the bunker and they're they're trying to tell him that the allies are coming 
Hitler tells everybody to leave the room and then he loses his shit. It reminded me of that. See, I was thinking like the exorcist, you know, we need to bring in a a priest. The power of Christ compels you and start hitting him with holy water and see what happens. I tell you, I think it would just kind of sizzle and then he'd stand there and get mad. That's like, (laughs) like a really powerful vampire that you show a cross to. So it's like, it's a lot to take in, dude. It's well, like, and Google what? removed the video, and, and their logic for removing the video is they were saying how it's false information that goes against COVID-19 and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, how do you know it's false information? I mean, here's a Pfizer executive explaining it. So how would Google know if it's actually false information? And they have no yeah. idea. The reality is that we're going to need to see Pfizer records, and, and Senator Marco Rubio already sent a letter to Pfizer Uh, demanding answers after this video appeared. But this is part of the problem that you have the corrupt government agencies in collusion with these tech giants where the lines are being blurred. Then you have the mainstream press outlets that like refuse to actually report on this story. You would think like back in the day, this could have made a journalist career. Now they're like all hiding it. And it's you have this unholy alliance between all these different groups within government, the media, big tech, the the military industrial complex, and you see the power they have. They all have different goals in mind, but it's certainly dangerous and it's frightening. Oh, absolutely. And I think I think, man, that they have to be shocked. If I was on if I was on the Pfizer side of things, if I was on the the CIA FBI side of things, I think I would be like surprised every single day just at how well the recipe works. And and the recipe is very simple. You get caught doing something very bad, then so you go, okay, so we got to control this. All right. So Google, uh do me a favor and just do the spinning wheel and throw up a throw up a sign on the website that says, uh, "Hey, looks like the results for this one are changing rapidly." And then direct them direct them to some website that's like, "Hey, isn't Pfizer awesome?" And then you call your <laughs> you call your media buddies and you're like, "Don't touch this story. Just don't talk about it." And then you wait for months and months. And you just continue on like everything's normal. And then when a reporter finally does ask you about it, you go, "Are you still talking about that? That was months ago. Are you in on that whole conspiracy theory thing?" And then it's and then it's over. And then the it's conspiracy over. theories that all turn out to be true, <laughs> right? That's it's, amazing too. Yeah, here's the one that shocks me. Uh, and then and we got to. I want to ask you about some uh, some Fox News personalities. Yeah, that's right, buddy. Maybe we'll do that the next segment. But here's the one that gets me. And this is another one that I'm. Uh, I apologize to the longtime listeners who have just heard me go on and on about this, but I just can't get over it. The World Health Organization. They, they tell us that uh, like 7 million people, 7 million people have died uh, worldwide from COVID. Now, whatever, whatever, say what you will about the world. I just I want to use their number because it's a very big number. They say 7 million people have died from COVID. And like no one seems interested in how COVID got out or how we can <laughs> prevent another outbreak. That's the one that I can't, I just, I cannot believe it. There's seven, they tell me there's 7 million people missing from the planet and nobody's looking for the root cause. That should, that's the biggest red flag in the history of red flags. 
Well, it, it's actually worse than that, considering the fact that the United States is the one that mostly funds the WHO, not China. Like, if China was funding the WHO, I'd be like, okay, you know, they're going to bat for their buddies that are financing their whole operation. So I understand that. But they're not. We're the ones funding it. And it's like the who works to undermine us, not the communist regime of China. That, that to me, and, and that's why President Trump was right when he pulled the funding from the who, we should continued to pull the funding from the who listen america and its officials are the dumbest people that could possibly exist I, i've never seen a situation where we give all this money to all these different entities to all these different countries and yet we don't use it to get what we want out of them it's like we just hand it to them and say all right good luck enjoy you know keep your money line your pockets whatever like why don't we use the power and influence we have instead all the policies are designed to undermine america and the american people make us actually weaker even down to something like the fbi the fbi is not a marxist organization it's not collusion with the you know the, all these communists out there the fact is that there are plenty of rank and file employees that don't agree with a lot of what top leadership has done, yet they don't speak out. They they remain silent. And, you know, the logic that they use is that, well, I have to provide a livelihood for my family. Listen, I'm in academia. I'm surrounded by leftists all single, every single day. My entire institution and all college institutions are to the left of the political spectrum. But I still speak out. If I see something's wrong, I'm going to say it. And and yes, can they try and attack me? Can they? Yeah, they could do that. Can they try and threaten my livelihood? Yeah, they can. But I'm still going to stand up for what I believe and let the chips fall where they fall. And that's what I think we're lacking in this country. It's a little thing called courage where people need to get a backbone and start saying, yo, this isn't right. And we're not going to tolerate it anymore. You, my my friend, have have nailed it on the head. It's too funny. It's like it's like you read my little show notes. Because as great I was, minds think alike. <laughs> I guess so. Because I was thinking about this uh, this this Memphis uh, cop. You know the videotape, and they're you know they 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 beat that kid up horribly, and he ended up dying. Uh, and just like what you're saying with like the FBI, and this goes for the military. Every every aspect, I think, of life. We need we need honor. We need a, a return to honor, like being a policeman or being in the military or being in the FBI. Uh, that should be such a position of honor that if you are to break the rules or, or you know, become a dirty cop or whatever, like your fellow cops, you're you're sullying the good name of uh, a highly venerated position. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like, whatever happened to honor? Like, if you're an FBI dude, and this is like, like, I I used to be one of those guys that were like, yo, yeah, the, you know, the vast majority of FBI agents are, you know, are good people, and it's just a few bad apples, and dude, I'm in the PR game of this. They all suck. How about that? You're all horrible human beings. <laughs> I'm going to force somebody into being honorable. Like, seriously, well, I, I think they're all scum. CIA, well, you got to return honor and integrity to the system. Unfortunately, like, look at Memphis and the five cops. The system worked, right? They abused their power. Now they're all being charged with second degree murder and a slew of other charges. Like, the system worked. It was pretty quick how it unfolded and everything. And, and you introduce accountability into the system by punishing those who abuse their power, and they punish those who abuse their power relatively quickly. Now, juxtapose that with Afghanistan. 
20 years of war. Throughout that 20 years, under four administrations or three administrations, we were told that the situation's improving, the Afghan military is getting stronger, the Afghan government's stable, the Afghan military will be able to defend the government and the police and blah, blah, blah. And what happens? Well, we announced we're withdrawing, and within one week, one week, the Taliban is able to recapture the country. They're better armed and equipped today than they were prior to our invasion. And it was all for what? Not a single person was held accountable. General Milley was in charge of training Afghan forces during a long period of time. You have uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, who's in charge of Afghan operations under Obama. And it's like in the United States, in government in general, only there can you be like the biggest failure and still get promoted. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And just like and just like I was saying a couple of minutes ago, like if I was on you know, the CIA Pfizer side of things, I'd be like, I can't believe how how well this works. I can't believe how easy this is. Everybody uh, in Afghanistan, what a what an easy con that was. What an easy con. You can just you, you can just round up uh, like a handful of Afghan dudes and go, hey, you guys want to train to be freedom fighters? And they're like, I don't know. I got to go. Listen, I will give you a couple thousand drachmas just to stand here and listen. It's actually worse than that. Do you know that 40% of Afghan forces that we trained were either drug addicts or they were actually Taliban? Like, (laughs) we're training our own enemies. That's how stupid we are. That's how bad the vetting was. Right? Because you you don't, because it's not about defending Afghanistan. It's about going back to D.C. and going, dudes, it's going really well. It's going well. I'm having a lot of success. If I just had about mm, 50 million more dollars, then we'd really see some results. And then somebody cuts you a big fat check. And and for what? I mean, and we're seeing it now with Afghanistan, right? I mean, uh, Ukraine, right? Let's just keep on dumping money and resources. So we spent the amount we've given Ukraine. That's about 15% of what we spent in eight years of war in Iraq. And you look at this and you're wondering, well, first of all, where's the accountability? I mean, this is heavy-duty military equipment we're giving them. We're giving them billions of dollars in economic aid. You know, we need a system to track where all this is going. The last time we didn't have systems in place to track where military equipment was going didn't really work to our favor. So you might not want to make those mistakes again. <laughs> so we have that aspect. Then you have this idea of we have to throw more and more into it. And now we got to train them using the weapon systems. And the only way to train them using weapon systems is on the ground and whatnot. And at what point do people wake up and realize that, hey, we may be in the midst of World War III now. We just don't realize it yet. Take it. Take it. And on that happy note, (laughs) we're going to take a little break. uh, And then we're going to come right back with more with our very, our, our very fun guest, very enlightening guest, having a great time, Professor Nicholas Giordano. Hold on, everybody. We will be right back with more.
Tired of paying outrageous prices for Viagra? Well, we have great news for you. Now you can finally get Viagra at huge discounts. Healthy Man allows you to save up to $500 on Viagra. Why pay U.S. pharmacy prices of $15 per pill or more when you can get Viagra for less than $3 a pill? Call today and get 40 Viagra pills for only $99. This can cost as much as $600 at your local pharmacy. You can't afford not to call us. If you want Viagra at the lowest prices, never pay $15 a pill pharmacy prices again. Get Viagra for less than $3 a pill. Call 1-800-516-7602 today and save up to $500 and get 40 pills for just $99. Healthy Man is fast, easy, and affordable. Operators are waiting at 1-800-516-7602 to take your call right now. Call 1-800-516-7602. That's 1-800-516-7602. Again, 1-800-516-7602. Don't you ever call me a liar, ladies and gentlemen. We are back. I told you it would work just like that. We got we got more interviews with uh, Professor Giordano, and then we're going to have an, an insane uh, Patreon segment. For, for that segment, you're just going to be stuck with me and perhaps the guitar. That's going to be wild and insane. Okay. So we're in the middle of uh, just just blasting it out. There, this is like a a great uh, a, a great date because you think oh. We're just gonna do some chit chat. No, dude, we're over here. We're we're going at it. We're getting to the meat of the problem. I'm uh, I'm, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, my friend. But uh, we were talking about Afghanistan, and then we were going into to Ukraine, and I just isn't it odd how that how that timing went? Like as soon as they were wrapping up the cash cow of Afghanistan, then, oh my goodness, here comes the Ukraine. And we have to give them all this money and they don't even have to show receipts. I don't, my head, my head spins at the amount of money that we're probably wasting over there. Oh, it's being, it's like being burned. You might as well throw it in a furnace. I mean, (laughs) you know, it it is crazy. And to keep this military industrial complex running, you got to keep the wars going. That's what, that's what it's all about. I mean, listen, it's in the America's interest and the world's interest to resolve this conflict, to get the hostilities to begin to cease, to find a diplomatic solution. But whenever you bring up a, the idea of a diplomatic solution, and I've done this several times, people will attack you. They'll be like, oh, you support Putin. You love dictators. And we shouldn't negotiate with dictators. And I'm just sitting there like, well, how dumb are you? I mean, the fact is we negotiate with dictators all the time. We negotiated with Mao Zedong, for God's sakes. Uh, yeah. Communist China. We, we negotiate with Hu Jintao of China today. So when we look at it, yeah, we have to negotiate with dictators. And the longer that the Ukraine-Russia conflict goes on, the more instability it creates in the international system. And the more instability, the greater the chance that the conflict begins to widen and expand. And that's what we're seeing. Now, the diplomatic solution is there, but nobody wants to talk about it. And when you speak to, you know, some of these uh, holy, holy moral warriors that that believe that, you know, we have to topple Putin, you ask them, well, what's the goal and objective of the United States? Like, what does our end game look at? Look like yeah. you notice how they never could explain that. Well, we need Putin 
to pull his troops and unconditional surrender of the Russian military. Okay, fine. Well, what if he doesn't do that then? How far are we willing to go? How much money are we willing to invest? How much equipment are we willing to give the Ukrainians? How long is this commitment? Like, explain it to me. I want the answers. And, and, oh, well, we need a regime change in Russia. Okay, well, what does regime change in Russia look like? Like, if Putin's not there, who takes over? And is the person that take over actually far worse than Vladimir Putin is? These people have nothing. And the problem is, in political science, all you have to do is look at history. Anytime you don't have really smart objectives, and by smart objectives, I mean uh, objectives that are simple, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. Anytime you don't have these types of objectives, you lose. We've seen that time and time again. So like you look at Vietnam. Yeah, we won every single military battle over there at a great expense to our soldiers. But at the same time, we still lost the war. You look at Iraq in 2003, you look at Afghanistan, you look at the Ukraine now. Smart objectives is 1991 Desert Storm. Saddam invades Kuwait and starts invading Saudi Arabia. The objectives are to repel Saddam's forces from those two countries. Well, that's simple. We can measure it, right? We could see if Saddam's forces are are pulling back and whatnot. It's attainable. It's actually a realistic goal. And it was timely. We did it in about a month and a half. How is building out a democratic Afghanistan simple, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely? Like, what the hell does a democratic Afghanistan even look like? You know, and that's the amazing part. So we don't have any real goals and objectives. And so this has all the potential to explode. Hopefully it doesn't. But again, you don't have a media pressuring government officials as to getting answers as what a diplomatic solution will look like. And listen, the United States... If we ended this today, this actually increases our power and influence around the world for two reasons. First of all, Russia's military has been exposed. We've been overestimating it for for decades. And the truth is that Russia's military is not as strong as we thought. And they are significantly weaker today than they were on February 24th, 2022. So that's a win for us, right? That's Russia's always a natural adversary to the United States. So now we have a weakened Russia. So that makes us more powerful, that's a win for us. With the amount of money and military equipment that we've given Ukraine, we essentially could control Ukraine's policies, make them put favorable policies towards us. Why wouldn't you want to end this now and have the benefit of both sides winning rather than let it go on, we get sucked into it, and then you got your World War Three scenario that doesn't work out well for anyone? Dig it. Dig it. And that is the wild card in all this and and like what you're saying every day it continues it gets us closer to you know putin putin in a nuke i tell you with uh with saddam hussein invading kuwait my boy didn't have a nuke that is the that is the that is the advantage to not not letting anybody else get nukes like i can't even i i can't even believe that we're even entertaining the idea of iran with nukes. Well, but like, look, look at how passively we talk about nuclear bombs and nuclear war. Oh, Putin may launch a nuke and then we're going to have to respond. Like, it's just like a normal conversation that some of these so-called experts like have in the media. And I'm sitting there like, look at what you're talking about. You're talking about it as if it's just some part, you know, just a regular part of conflict. Let's just see a bunch of nukes flying around as if that's normal. 
And that's the amazing part to me. They don't realize the gravity of what could possibly happen. And history is replete with examples of leaders miscalculating. And obviously Putin miscalculated big time. Uh, but of leaders miscalculating and not anticipating something and something worse actually happens. And that's the that's what I find so annoying is that you have all these so-called experts out there that, are, you know, are making it as if this can expand beyond what we could imagine. Yeah. So let me ask you this. In my opinion, uh, there's there's a strong case to be made for for uh, someone going in there going, all right, all right, Putin. You got that little hunk of Ukraine. Congratulations, but no more, no more. Ukraine, he got it. He beat you. So your country's a little smaller now, but that's it. That's it. These are the new borders. Everybody work on the new map. But we're done here. We're done. Well, not for nothing. That will not be acceptable to King Zelensky over there. I mean, you know, think about how demanding he is, where he's kind of, I need this, I need that, I need this. Never says, you know, Hey, thanks for everything you've given me already. Can I please have this instead? Yeah. You know, we need this. But the the truth is that, again, I think you're 100 percent right that a diplomatic solution. Listen, you may have to write off the Crimea to Russia. I'm not you might not like it, but that's the nature of the beast. Yeah. You may have to write off other parts. Uh, but the reality is that in Russia, leaders are held accountable when they lose wars. And so if Putin doesn't have an exit hatch, if there's no way for Putin to go back and say, all right, look, it was worth it. What we got this out of it. Well, and Putin loses this. He's dead. That That's the, the Russian way that that's where Russian accountability kicks in. See, Milley and Lloyd Austin, they get promoted. The leaders of countries like Russia, they get killed if they lose wars. Here's what I would. Pro- here's what I would propose to Putin. I go. We are going to, I want you to like, we're going to send out some film crews and you just drop some bombs all over some farms and villages and stuff. And the official media story is you took half of the Ukraine. You took half of it. But now, because you're such a cool dude, you're going to give it back and just stick with the parts that you had a month ago. How about that? Well, see, the thing is, I I don't even think you need to go down that road. Putin needs an out, right? So the easiest way to get the out is saying... Russia is going to withdraw to pre-2022 borders, so they're going to pull out of the eastern parts of Ukraine. In return, they get to keep Crimea, and we will sign the pledge that NATO, uh, Ukraine, will never join NATO. We will yeah. sign that pledge because that, that's what they want in writing. Now, Putin could take that to his people. See, NATO's no longer a threat. You know, we got them to, to agree to our demands. Now, just so the audience is aware, that was pretty much unspoken. American-Russian policy since the collapse of the Soviet Union that Ukraine would never be allowed into NATO with the exception of 2007-2008 when uh, George W. Bush threatened that we would allow Ukraine because Putin invaded two provinces in Georgia. And then you had uh, Obama who who brought it up but didn't really believe it after Russia invaded Crimea. So it's been unspoken policy that Ukraine will never be allowed into NATO and, and that makes sense, right? I mean, the uh, the idea of countries joining NATO, it increases our risk. And it, it, of course, it's going to benefit those countries that are dro- joining. They, they get the American military power behind them. But the reality is that it doesn't necessarily help us out. And I think it's insane. Again, we have these so-called experts out there 
that are calling for an immediate approval of Ukraine's application into NATO. And I'm just sitting there like, how dumb are you? You do realize Article 5 of the NATO Charter immediately gets a vote the second you let Ukraine into NATO. We're at war officially. Yeah. And it didn't go through Congress. It doesn't, you know, right now, any type of, of military conflict we engage in, Congress either has to pass a declaration of war or they have to authorize the president to use force. Now, they'll never do this for you, for the Ukraine, at least not right now. But if Ukraine was somehow able to get into NATO, if they proved NATO membership for the Ukraine, then it doesn't require congressional approval to go to war. Automatically, as the charter states, we would be involved. Yeah. And it would just be us. It would just be us. How how slow have these other NATO countries been on picking up any kind of slack? Like, like how long has Germany and Poland, like, have they hemmed and hawed about, oh, I don't know if we should send tanks. That, oh, maybe, how many tanks? How many do you need? It's insane. And meanwhile, we're, like, literally running out of missiles. We're, we, these, these weapon systems that we're sending over there, it takes us years to build those. Well, we provided $130 billion around to the Ukraine. Europe as a whole has provided about $30 billion. So why doesn't Europe see this existential threat of Vladimir Putin that we see? Right. But also, you, you're spot on with that. So Javelin missiles, we produce 600, 700 each year. We've given the Ukraine 7,000 Javelins. And we only produce 600 to 700. Our stockpiles of Javelins are down by 30%. And the CEO of Raytheon, which makes the Javelin, said, even if we wanted to increase production, we can't because there's 200 semiconductors per Javelin and there's a shortage out there. So we can't even do that. Uh, our small arm munitions are, are below readiness levels. Our shoulder-fired missiles are below readiness levels. We're giving Patriot right. missiles now. And it's like, okay, so... We are destroying our own military, making us less prepared for any real type of conflict. At the same time, we're heading towards a conflict. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, it's it's like it only makes sense <laughs> to me. It only makes sense if you look at like this is all intentional just to bring our country to its knees. Like all of these. It makes all... sense if you're a D.C. swamp rat. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like in the meantime, you know, as as we're depleting our missile systems and our ammunition and all this stuff, you got people. It's their full time job to figure out how do we make tanks uh, solar? How can we make our our Navy solar? <laughs> They're like literally worried about green energy. It's like no one. The, everyone's top priority uh, seems to be just making money. Well, it's green energy, but also don't forget, we also have to force soldiers to get involved in this whole diversity, equity and inclusion scheme and, and you know, brainwash them into believing that America is a horrible country, that America is this place where there's institutional racism all over the place and we hold people down. And, and so now we're going to expect these soldiers to put their lives on the line to defend a country that they're being taught is essentially evil. And we also have to make eight-month uh, maternity flight suits as if an eight-month pregnant lady is going to be getting in a fighter jet. Right. Right. It's it's all so ridiculous. Do you cover? Do you cover this kind of stuff in your in your classroom? Of course I do. Are you kidding me? You know how much fun it is. What is this? Is this day two? Is this day two or day three in your class when you get into this? 
Well, it all ties in together. So it could be like, you know, one day, couple days, you know, when we're talking about Ukraine and Russia as a whole, that's going to, you know, be several classes throughout the entire semester. When I'm talking about, you know, maternity uh, flight suits for eight month pregnant women, that one will always come in. And it's funny because you see the reaction of students and you're like, wow, they're actually more mature and responsible than all the members of Congress that are approving this crap. Yeah. <laughs> They're actually more responsible than the bureaucrats in office. They have more common sense. And you don't hear me say that often about the younger generations, but they certainly have more common sense than the morons that we have in office today. I think, dude, I mean, that gives me hope. That's great. Because I think I think once the idea is introduced, that little kernel of of common sense, you know, I think you can't help but let it grow. I, I blame academia for for all of our current ills, pr- pretty much. Like uh, you know the CRT stuff, the you know the gender questioning, uh, you know equity, blah blah blah. All that all that stems from some moron in academia who wrote a paper and then his fellow idiots uh, read it and were like, "Yes, that's very good. That should be published. You you've highlighted a very big problem. It's all it's all stupid." Yeah, because it seems like the further you advance in education, the dumber you get. <laughs> and that, 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 that's what it seems like when I, it comes to academia. Uh, I'm like one of the few college professors that actually doesn't have a PhD, um, you know, and, and is able to teach. I have two master degrees. But part of the problem in academia is that they never left that bubble of academia. They, they go to undergrad, get their degree, then grad school, then PhD. And then they start teaching in the classroom and they do research and they're sitting in a room doing research, not talking to anyone. And so they lack a lot of common sense. Me, I come from the private sector and the government sector, worked in both in Homeland Security and emergency management. So I I see how government operates. I I see the real defects when I was there or the problems witnessed firsthand. I see where government's inefficient and where it's designed to be inefficient. And so I could bring that real world experience into the classroom where all these PhDs, they, they kind of just sit there thinking up ideas and theories that that aren't going to change anyone's life. They're not going to improve anyone's life. In fact, they're only going to make things worse. And every bad idea filters out at a academic system. There's zero doubt about that. You now have medical schools for you ladies out there. You have medical schools, OBGYNs now being trained that it's not just women that could get pregnant. Do you really want to give birth and have one of those OBGYNs being your doctor? <laughs> right. Trying to see how, <laughs> trying to check and see if your butthole's dilated. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> it's a, okay. So I know you're a, you're a, you're a super busy guy. You're, you're now a, you're a, you're a regular on a Maria Bartiromo show, which really honestly uh, makes me, really jealous that's a that's that's a great thing and you're you're on you're on uh, tucker carlson's show all the time but here's the question how's maria how's maria like off camera when you're just doing the little chit chat the chit chat dawn break she's very nice they're all very nice there i have to say i, I haven't encountered one person that's you know been arrogant or egotistical uh, so they are very nice over there at fox and that's not me just tooting their horns just because i want to get on their programs it's the <laughs> truth if they were a-holes i wouldn't go on their programs i tell you yeah. i meant i'll say this one i'll say this one time i was doing uh, i was doing fox and friends and hannity was going to be on in studio 
And Kilmeade comes over and goes, Mike, you got to meet Sean Hannity. And Hannity shakes my hand. And like that dude, like I know he does a lot of like mixed martial arts and boxing and stuff, but I would not want to fight Sean Hannity. I would <laughs> that dude, that dude's legit. Gives you the death grip. He He's like, <laughs> you're just like, hey, nice to meet you, Sean. Yeah, good to meet you. Seemed like a great guy. But there's like, there's like an energy to him. There's a vibe that, and I, I have to imagine, like, if you're Hannity, you got to be ready to throw down the, the instant you leave your house. Yeah, and that to me is the crazy part. Like, you know, if I disagree with someone, I disagree with them, and that's it. I, I can't last. I don't think twice about it. I don't lose any sleep over it. You have these people out there that literally, like, they never met someone, but because of a political opinion, they have this abject hatred like, I could guarantee you that if you and I were talking to a group of leftists and we, tr like, infiltrated one of their little parties, I could guarantee you I could get them to to say, exterminate all conservatives, that, that conservatives should just be killed. They're useless yeah. in our society. Where you're never going to hear that from the other side. It's like, no, I don't care what you think. Uh, it's not that important to me. You know, I have my public life. I have my private life. Either way, as long as I'm getting a paycheck from the college, I'm good. Yeah. You know, and but then to them, it's their whole life. Like everything revolves around their political beliefs. And if you disagree with some of these people, the way they act, the way they behave, it's it's like disgraceful. Well, you've you've touched on we're going to have to we're going to leave that for a, another day, sadly. But I, I think this is just my own personal philosophy. And I've heard others say it as well. But like the whole the whole wokeness and all that, that's that's replaced religion. It is it is with a religious zeal that they go after all this stuff. You know, it's hundred percent. It's like the Spanish Inquisition back in the day. Okay, buddy, I'm so uh, happy and and thankful that you did did the show. You have a very successful podcast as well, and I think our viewers are going to want to know the name of that. It is the PAS Report podcast. It's a fantastic podcast. It's one of the best out there, <laughs> if I may say myself. Now I am to my own horn. Nah, it's a good uh, podcast where I break down all the issues and whatnot. People can check it out at PASReport.com. And Michael, I always enjoy talking to you. It's always an intriguing conversation. It's a good time. It's a good time. Thank you so much, buddy. Enjoy the rest of your day. And everyone else, I will see you in just a few moments over on the elite Patreon segment. Have a good one.